Good morning, TLC. Um, I want to start off just with a fair warning. Uh, we're going to be having a, a, an important, uh, beautiful, intimate conversation uh, this morning. And uh, it will be PG, PG-13. Um, but if you have young kids and uh, you weren't aware of the conversation, I just want to give you fair warning uh, about that as we dive in. Um, last week, I had the privilege of kicking off, not kicking off, Gary, Dr. Burge, kicked off our series two weeks ago. Last week, I had the privilege of preaching through chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 24. It was a big chunk of Scripture. Uh, within that chunk of Scripture, uh, and the reason we did that is because it's really important to understand what Paul is trying to accomplish Okay, sometimes we can get bogged down in some of the specifics of what Paul says and miss what he's trying to accomplish. And so it's really important that we all understand that every single person, regardless of your religious background, your moral background, your ethnic background, your ethical background, every single one of us deserves the wrath of God. Doesn't matter who you are. That's why Paul explains the good news that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we have the opportunity through belief to be rescued from that. Uh, this is an important thing for us uh, to understand what Paul's doing because within chapter 1, uh, there is a conversation uh, that Paul brings up in his argument about homosexuality. And I did talk about that a little bit last week, but I couldn't dive into it super uh, detailed. But it is one of those topics that is, quite honestly, uh, so prevalent within our society, our culture today, that we thought that it was really important that we take a week to really dive in. Because uh, the truth is, this isn't an issue as much as these are real people. Um, I don't talk about the topic of LGBTQ+, plus, uh, as a theological exercise only, or a biblical exercise only, or an intellectual exercise only, uh, for me it's also a very personal conversation. It's an intimate conversation, it's an important conversation, because um, I have distant friends, and close friends, I have distant family and close family, that this is not simply an intellectual conversation, but a very personal conversation. I don't talk about this as an issue because, uh, quite honestly, these are people with faces and names that I know and love and care deeply about. And so when we have this conversation, I want it to be within the context of saying, hey, uh, this isn't an us and them, this isn't about the other, this is about all of us, we need to have this conversation and care about the conversation because um, these are our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And every single one of us brings a broken sexuality with us into this church. I promise you, mine is as broken as anybody else's in here. I don't say that for like effect. I say it because it's true. Um, I think you probably feel the same thing. Uh, what I wanted to do uh, this morning is start with a quote from Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Dr. Sprinkle is uh, an expert 
on this particular uh, topic uh, within the Bible. It's really what he spends uh, most of his time researching and writing on and speaking on and, and, and studying. And uh, for him as well, uh, he'll be really straightforward to say this isn't just uh, a topic or an issue. Uh, this for him is something very personal and important. He says this, he says, it's not about being affirming of same-sex marriage or non-affirming. It's about being biblical. It's about submitting to God's word, even if it critiques and offends what you've always believed. Uh, when I use the words affirming or non-affirming, let me explain what I'm saying. When I say affirming, I'm referring to people that hold an affirming view uh, that it is uh, same-sex sexual relationships are um, okay and uh, God is not opposed to them and same-sex marriage is okay. So that is called usually the affirming position. Uh, Dr. Sprinkle likes to use the word non-affirming um, for those that don't think that the Bible allows for that or that it is God's uh, intent and design um, for a, uh, a flourishing life. Uh, I generally prefer the word traditional. Um, a traditional understanding of marriage as being between uh, one male and one female. Uh, however, um, though he uses affirming and non-affirming. So I just think it's important that we understand at least what some of the languages that uh, we're talking about. The reason that it's important that we are biblical, okay, that we hold to what is biblical uh, above and beyond our preferences is because we don't want to make God's word say more than it actually does, all right? Uh, we, that, that's when we become Pharisees, when we start adding things to what Scripture says. So it's super important that we don't prohibit something that God doesn't prohibit just because we think it should be, all right? Or because the tradition we grew up says it's supposed to be this or that. All right, we have to let the Bible, okay, properly understood in its original context with its interpretive arc stand on its own. All right, we're not going to force it to say something. This is how the Bible actually stays authoritative beyond our traditions and cultures and preferences. This is really important that we understand this. Our desire, my desire, is that we would be biblically grounded because I believe that God's word is actually God's word. It has to be properly understood. It has to be properly applied. We not just have to understand what it says, but also what it means. These are really, really important things. And I want to be biblical more than anything else. There have been times that our traditions have actually uh, caused us to think that the Bible says something that it doesn't actually say, all right? For a long time, we used to think that the sun was the center, or excuse me, the earth was the center of the universe. A lot of people actually got that out of Joshua chapter 10. When was it Copernicus? I think it was Copernicus. Showed us that the sun was actually at the center, or Galileo, uh, at the center of the universe. Science people are going to be crushing me right now. That's okay. Get, crush me. I'm not a good scientist. When he finally said that the sun was at the center of the universe, the church actually excommunicated him because they believed, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that the earth is the center. What we've now come to understand is that what Joshua was actually, uh, what the writer of Joshua was explaining was something very different. Science didn't contradict the Bible. We just hadn't understood it correctly, and our tradition actually kept us from understanding it. So we need to pay attention to what the Bible is actually saying, and not just what it says, but what it actually means. This is really, really important. Now, uh, what I'd like to do this morning is very briefly uh, give you my opinion, since we talked about Romans chapter 1, 
Okay, in fact, I want to read the verses real quick. Romans chapter 1, uh, this is one of the key, really there's only six passages that talk about same-sex sexual relationships in Scripture. Uh, one of those is here in Romans 1. It's one of the more important ones. It's what I talked about uh, real briefly, but let me read it to you again, starting in verse 25, chapter 1. It says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. That's important there, the unnatural um, discussion that Paul is having and why. Verse 27, it says, In the same way that the women did this, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Um, I would like to give you what I think is the best biblical argument for holding to an affirming position regarding this text, okay? Um, I'm not going to do it perfect justice, but I will do my best to explain how those that hold to an affirming position that gay marriage and same-sex relationships are, uh, God is good with that, um, and that this passage is not actually describing that. The argument is uh, one that I've actually found fairly compelling, um, they basically say when Paul writes this, he had no concept of the kind of relationships that we see today, where they are mutually exclusive, uh, loving, um, compassionate towards one another, uh, where there is actually uh, um, uh, purity in the relationship, uh, sexually, even before marriage, and then monogamy after marriage. Paul never would have had that kind of a relationship in mind. Because in the ancient, especially Greco-Roman world, uh, most of the relationships that we see that are same-sex are almost always exploitative. In other words, there is a power imbalance. There is a powerful man who is exploiting a less powerful man. So there's a couple things that are going on at this time. One is called pederasty. Uh, which is uh, an, an older man who has taken a younger uh, adolescent, usually 16, 17, 15-ish years old, and part of their schooling also includes this type of same-sex uh, sexual relationship. Uh, there's also uh, male prostitutes that we know that uh, more powerful men who have money are able to buy and pay for. We also know that there is uh, slavery uh, that has happened during this time, and so uh, sometimes uh, male slave owners will uh, violate their male slaves, and so we have lots and lots of discussion of this kind of thing happening uh, throughout the ancient world. While Paul absolutely was condemning awful abuse and inappropriate sexual power dynamics, the question is, is that the only thing that was going on at the time because if it was, then Paul couldn't have been, as the argument goes, uh, against it. He wouldn't have even had a understanding of this kind of a relationship that we see today with same-sex, monogamous, loving, mutual peer relationships. 
The reason that uh, I think the argument holds some weight is because the vast majority that we seem to see in ancient texts show that that was often an issue, power dynamics. The reason that I can't hold to an affirming position is actually threefold. Uh, I, I know I probably haven't done a perfect job of explaining the affirming position and why they hold this in Romans chapter 1, but I'm trying to do my best. Now I want to explain to you why I don't think that it's actually the best way to view this passage of Scripture. Number one, although it's true many of the relationships we see were exploitative in the New Testament world, we have ancient records of peer-to-peer same-sex male relationships that wasn't exploitative. We also have a number of instances in ancient uh, writings that describe uh, peer-to-peer, female-to-female same-sex relationships that were not exploitative. So the argument that Paul would have had no understanding of the kind of relationships that we're talking about today in America is just untrue. In fact, even affirming scholars recognize that there are a number of ancient texts that describe peer-to-peer relationships between both men and women. So that's the first reason that I can't get behind the affirming argument for for this passage. Uh, The second reason is the language that Paul uses here is very general. It's, it's, uh, it's meant to kind of be a catch-all. It's the same language that's used in uh, Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20, which is also rather general. If Paul wanted to talk specifically about exploitative same-sex relationships like pederasty, there were words, Greek words, that were very, very common and used quite a bit uh, between even a lot of Paul's contemporaries and a lot of the contemporary writers. He would have used those words. He specifically uses very general words that certainly okay, uh, condemn any violent sexual behavior, any exploitative sexual behavior, but can't simply be limited to those. That's the second reason. The language that Paul uses here in the original is general, and it's intended to kind of show all of same-sex relationships, whether they are peer-to-peer or whether there is an exploitative connection, power, imbalance. Uh, The third reason is that Paul was Jewish. Um, Christianity actually comes out of Judaism. Uh, Jesus, obviously, was a Jew. And so we would expect that Paul's understanding of morals and ethics uh, would flow out of his Judaism. Now, within Judaism, there was actually, at times, different schools of thought, not on what the text said, but on what the text meant. We had some schools like uh, Hillel, and Shammai, uh, one was more conservative, one was more liberal, I can't remember which was which, uh, but they would have different interpretations of some of the laws. When it came to the topic of same-sex relations, though, uh, there was not a conservative and a liberal interpretation. Uh, All throughout the history of Judaism, there was never... A discussion on whether it was potentially right or okay. Uh, it was universally considered uh, against nature, paraphysin, uh, but also um, as something that God had condemned as sinful and not for 
our flourishing. So if that's the history that Paul is actually coming out of, and Jesus as well, if they were going to make a change from the expected norm, we would expect them to be very, very clear on that. Uh, In fact, Jesus and Paul did that on a number of occasions with certain Old Testament laws. Uh, When it came to divorce, actually, there was a debate. Uh, Jesus actually clarified. In fact, in Christianity, Jesus actually made it uh, even more conservative. When it came to things like um, eating pork, uh, Paul moved in a very, very big way away from the expected norm, but he was also very clear in that. If they were going to move away from this particular norm on homosexual behavior that the Old Testament had said was wrong, we would expect them to be very clear on that. And Paul uh, seems to be going along exactly with what he had come up with. And so there doesn't seem to be any shift or change. Now look, friends, I am just literally scratching the surface on this conversation. I don't have time to get into anything else. Um, This is one passage of six that require an awful lot of engagement. Uh, I want to do something a little different today than just trying to go through and uh, make an argument one way or the other. I want to have a conversation. So in just a minute, I'm going to bring up a friend of mine, um, Lori. And Lori is going to actually uh, share a little bit of her story and answer a number of questions uh, that she and I have talked about ahead of time. Uh, but before I bring Lori up, I want to read this last quote from Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Because I think that it's really, really important that we understand uh, what he's saying and why you can't simply say, well, my church said X, or I always grew up believing this, or uh, my school taught me this, or this is what my friends think or my culture thinks. Listen to what uh, Preston says. This is from his book, People to be Loved. It is a book I would highly recommend for anybody who wants to dive deeper into this. Preston says this. He says, if you don't want to engage in lengthy discussions about the meaning of Greek words, then this next chapter will be a bear. He's starting off a new chapter, okay? He says, if, however, you're not willing to perch up in your chair, roll up your sleeves, and turn your phone off for a couple hours to study these two words, then I'd say you should not form a strong opinion about homosexuality. When asked what you think, at least be honest and say, I'm not too sure since I don't want to take the time to understand what the New Testament actually means. So if you're 22 and you formed an opinion, or if you're 72 and you formed an opinion, if you're not willing to do what Preston just said, which is to dive in, to really read, to actually pay attention to the text, not just what it says, but what it means, then please don't go around having any strong opinions on this particular issue. You're not doing any favors to your friends on either side of the discussion, and you're certainly not doing any favors to the God that you say you love and are trying to follow. And I don't say that just for you, I say that for me as well. We want to be people of the word. We want to be biblical. We want to trust that what God's word says is actually best for us. If you want to know the truth, I wish that I could be affirming in my stance on same-sex relations. It would make my life a lot easier in many ways. Uh, I, I would definitely have more street cred within our culture. 
I would also be on the winning side, quote unquote, because quite honestly, if you believe and hold to, uh, believe that the Bible teaches a traditional view of marriage, you've lost in our culture. Uh, I have some very outspoken friends that would definitely probably like me more. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to be liked more. I'm not trying to be on the winning side of anything. I'm trying to be on God's side. And I'm trying to do my very best to understand what his word says, whether I like it or don't like it, whether it makes me feel good or doesn't make me feel good. I'm trying to believe and trust that what God's word says is not just true, but for my flourishing and your flourishing. And that's, that's the reason that I still hold to a traditional understanding of what the Bible teaches about marriage. I hope, though, that you will engage, not just listen to what I say. I hope that you'll actually read and study for yourselves and dive in. Um, this time, I'm going to ask Lori uh, if she would come up. Uh, Lori is actually um, an author. In fact, she's got a brand new book that's coming out, what, in a week, the 27th? She and her husband, Matt, uh, have. She's actually uh, a speaker. She's like becoming like a big dog uh, speaking. She won't admit that, but it's true. Um, and uh, they actually have a conference. In fact, I think there's a picture uh, that we have uh, that we can show. Uh, this is a marriage conference that she and her husband, Matt, are putting on that I would highly recommend uh, all of you considering attending. Um, Lori uh, has a very unique story. Um, because Lori is married and she's got three awesome uh, kids and uh, um, she loves Jesus, but Lori's also same-sex attracted. And uh, I've got eight questions that I'm going to ask Lori today. There's no way we're going to get through all eight of these questions. I promise you that because these are huge, big, deep questions. But uh, we're going to get through as many as we can. And I want to offer this to you guys. If you go to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, pull out your phone right now. You can do it. Go to slido.com. You will see that there is a place you can enter a code. The code is simply TLC, okay? Uppercase, lowercase, doesn't matter. Type in that code, and it will take you to a website where you can ask questions. If there's a question that you have that we're not addressing, if there's a clarification that you're interested in, write it down. Austin's sitting up front. Austin is uh, logged in there. Um, that question will come to him. He will try to shoot them to me on my phone. Uh, I'm not promising you that I will get to any of your questions, all right? <laughs> but we will do our best to try to do that and to get through. Let me show you the eight questions uh, that Lori and I talked about that I'm gonna ask her to dive into. All right, questions are this. Number one, what is your story of faith and sexuality? Lori, we're gonna start with that one, okay? But then what is one of your favorite arguments for God's design for marriage, even though your flesh opposes it? People often use the hashtag love is love when it comes to this conversation. Why is that accurate or not? Why is this conversation similar to but different than the racial equity conversation? Woo, that's a big one. Uh, what is the cost of surrendering your sexuality to Jesus? Is it worth it? That's, a, that's like getting into the nitty gritty right there. What is the cost of speaking up about the conversation? What has it cost you? Friends, if you hold to a traditional view, you are already in the minority, even within Christianity right now. Not because I think tons and tons of people have studied it really, really well, but because we've kind of gone along with what our culture says, what we want, we want to still be cool and fit in. Uh, it's going to cost you something, I promise you. Uh, number seven, how can we speak truth in love? When and how? 
That, friends, right there is quite honestly one of the questions that I think is the most important for us as a church. Every single one of us in this room has a broken sexuality. I want every single person, gay, straight, bi, whatever, to feel like this is a safe place to come and worship and learn and figure out what God is teaching them. And I promise you, if we don't answer that question well, it will never feel that way, and it will be a shame on our church. Number eight, how can we love you or any other same-sex attracted or gay person well in this church? So, Lori, yeah. how's that for a... So, tell us a little bit about your story. Okay, here we are. Thanks so much for your patience. Hey, before I get rolling with my story, I did just want to emphasize something. Um, so, LGBT people especially teenagers, are two to four times more likely to commit suicide than straight teens. Uh, LGBT youth are seven times more likely to commit suicide in highly rejecting... Come on, Jesus! We need some microphones! I don't know, is there spiritual warfare? No, that never happens. Okay, there, Hello? We okay. there we go. And highly rejecting families, so seven times. And I do know that 86% of LGBT people come from a church background. So mm. I'm not ignorant of these statistics, and I just see you all, and I hear you, and I bet every single person in this room has a story of at least someone in their life, probably very close to them, if not your very self. So I just want you to know I see you. I've been praying against shame, praying against self-hatred, and our prayer in our little small group before this uh, conversation was, God, I just pray that every word that you and I say and every, <laughs> everything that you guys are hearing is just worship to God. So Amen. that is my prayer. Amen. And God, let it be so in, in even and in especially this conversation. So story of faith and sexuality, I'll try and keep it short. Uh, grew up in a Christian home, and I knew from a young age a couple different things. Uh, one is I had this sense of this God-shaped hole in my heart. We have the Hole in My Heart podcast. I talk about that a lot. But I had this, these good needs we all have this God-shaped hole in our heart. Augustine says it. You've made us for ourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it is, finds its rest in you. And God put good needs inside there before the fall for things like purpose and belonging and to be seen and desired and known. And then we were all born post-fall, and so all of us have this natural predisposition or default or orientation, if you will, to get those good needs of our heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy us hmm. and don't glorify God. That's all of our natural default. We're all born that way. And I had this sense from a young age, like I, I felt this desire and this longing in me to be seen and known and loved. I'm one of 12 kids, and so that's not zero causation. I'm just saying I like extra was like, does anyone see me or know me and love me? <laughs> And a few of my natural bents, one was performance, you know, literally doing performances on stages. And how am I seen? Now am I known? Now am I loved? I didn't understand idolatry at like eight. <laughs> I didn't know. I like, I sure I prayed the prayer of salvation, but I didn't know that I'm supposed to take these good needs and like take them to God. It was like, oh, people see me and know me and love me. That feels good. Or through people pleasing, who's smiling at me? I'm hoping some of you are. You know that you guys are, <laughs> you see me and know me and love me. But then I also felt this natural, and I would say natural because of the fall, 
default, I, I felt this desire toward women, this sexual draw. And it's weird to say the word sexual draw at like eight because you don't really understand all that. It just, it was this like extra heart fluttery sense, even at a young age toward women and, and not boys. And, and I, when I would feel that, it wasn't like, oh, this is my version of broken sexuality that I need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ like everyone else is called to do. No, <laughs> that was not the language of the 90s. <laughs> language of the 90s was like, there's a war on marriage mm. and the gay agenda is going to come and like, I don't know, like murder everyone. That was kind of the sense I got was like, there is this battle and this is not like a sin thing to like surrender. This is like out there. Mm. And so whenever I'd feel this desire, it wasn't like, oh, surrender. It was like, fragment myself. So in college, when I was Christian university, my dad's a pastor, I'm a leader, and then I meet another girl who feels the same way about me as I do about her, and all of a sudden we're in the same-sex relationship, and I didn't like go into it with this intent, but here I was, and I was like, wait, what? Because I didn't fit my own stereotypes of a homosexual lifestyle. Which, what does that even mean? Like, I was like, aren't I supposed to be, like, doing drugs and, like, sleeping around? Like, I don't, I love Jesus, like, way more than everybody down the pew. <laughs> and so I'd, like, look down at myself, and I'm like, Where, where's the gay part? Because I'm pretty sure I need to, like, become more Christian in order to, like, get rid of this somehow. And so is it, is it like, your appendix? Can I, like, cut it out? And I remember just crying and praying, and God, help me, help me, help me, and then... Wrestling, I mentioned suicidality between wanting to kill myself or do I come out as a lesbian atheist? And why I say atheist is because I actually believed that the Bible said about marriage was true. I just didn't think I could live it out without wanting to die. Mm. And I thought that in order to like be a Christian, I had to be straight. Like that was just, the, that was the thing. It, it wasn't even an option to be like, oh, you surrender this. It was just, these are your two options. Mm. Straight Christian or gay and this lifestyle thing. And I was so suicidal, a friend came alongside me and she said, hey, maybe you should go like talk to someone about that, like the whole suicidality thing. And I'm like, eh, probably, probably shouldn't want to kill myself. So I meet with someone and um, she was not just a counselor. She was like a spiritual Gandalf <laughs> slash Dumbledore person. She, okay, if you ever met people when you meet them, you're like, I I don't think you're walking on the ground. You're actually yeah. floating. This lady knew Jesus. And, and really, um, she didn't. She would just listen to me and, and removed shame, the self-hatred from myself. And she didn't. Her trajectory was not to make me straight. That's not even why I went to her. I went to her to talk about this wanting to die thing. But what she did is she helped me to name those good needs in my heart. Mm. And she'd ask me super weirdo questions like, Lori, when you're envisioning the ideal perfect woman in your mind, what's coming to mind? And I'm like, that's awkward. I'm not going to say that to you. You're like 70. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was so surprised at is the words that came tumbling out of my mouth were not sexual words. It was heart language. I want someone to like look me in the eyes and see me and know me and love me as I am. I don't have to like pretend anymore. She looks me in the eye because you know shame makes you do this. Mm. That's not a bad thing, Lori. 
You're just going to the wrong place. Now, the right place was not a man. That's called idolatry. Mm. Also idolatry. And I said, okay, well, don't tell me it's Jesus because I've tried Jesus. And I'm like a super Christian. So she's like, well, it's Jesus. (laughs) Don't hurt me. But I didn't realize that there's, you can know Jesus and not really know Jesus. And I even thought I like knew him. I probably would have corrected someone who like said that I didn't. But I had a lot of garbage between here and here. And it was, she, she helped clear the air between that good need in my heart and the need meter of my soul. And do you know what she used to help clear it? Not some like weirdo reparative therapy garbage, which I don't even know what that is. She used old fashioned spiritual disciplines. Mm. Like lament. It's, I'll just, sorry, real quick. I'm like lament crazy. My Bring friends it. make fun of me. Hi guys, how many times <laughs> have we lamented and talked about lament? Okay. Lament is one third of this psalm. So this is how we usually do forgiveness or like how we like go about our lives. If something bad happens to us and we're like, whatever, forgive and forget. <laughs> it's fine. Forgive and forget's not a verse, but. It's like whenever someone sins against us, big or small, it's like they do daggers and they stab us. And then we get all, because we're made for Eden. We're not made for this sinful world. And so they stab us. And then as Christians, because we're supposed to keep smiling, we just throw a nice little moo-moo all of these, over all of these daggers. And then we come to church and then we're mad about the color of the carpet. And we stab each other because we bump in about the color of the carpet. And we're wondering why we're so mad about the carpet. It's because we've had years of pain in our lives and lament is ripping the moo-moo off. Do we even know what a moo-moo is? It's like a big dress. Okay. We rip the (laughs) moo-moo off and we look down and we go, I've been stabbed. That's the beginning of forgiveness. And forgiveness is taking that dagger out and saying, Jesus, you be the judge. You're the only one who can judge fairly. I had a lot of that junk in my life, even as a good Christian girl, maybe especially as a good Christian girl. Mm -hmm. And even woundings that I felt. And God cleared the air and it got to a place where I wasn't straight. But that cleared the air to receive more of God's love. And do you know what Ephesians 3 says about God's love? It says, then you'll know the height and the breadth and the depth. It was so great. Though it was, you were so great. You will never fully understand it. Mm. But then you'll be filled to the fullness of all the fullness of life and power that come from God. Love empowers us not to become straight. What the heck? That's a dumb goal. Mm. love empowers us to die to self Mm. and that's what i'm doing every day now Mm. there's the start of the story okay (laughs) wow um two two quick things i want to when you when you tell this story and i've heard pieces of it but i haven't heard the whole thing before um that moment, because I think it's just such a hard thing to talk about when you were literally suicidal and wished, um, you kind of went through that pretty quick. But I just, if this is you, you may be there. Your life matters. It's worth it. Please talk to somebody. Please talk to somebody. Um, Lori, you, you said, all right, God didn't make you straight and that that's not actually the point. But you're married, and you got kids. You want to help us understand, to explain that. Why is that not self-explanatory? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Okay, so 
I got like all excited and joyful because Jesus is real and he does that, right? Okay, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm single and I'm married to Jesus and I'm going to go move to one of the coasts and I'm going to go be an English professor because I'm pretty sure that's the only thing that lesbian people can be. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's a little joke, inside joke for those in the crowd. Okay, um, so I really was going to go get my PhD and be a professor. But then I sensed God's hand on my shoulder saying, I have someone for you. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. I know your deal, God. I know your marriage deal. And I'm single and I'm happy, so leave me alone. But you know what? We don't get to say not my will but yours and only talk about pieces of our life. Mm. Mm. Not my will but yours, Jesus, but I like want to stay single. Is that cool? Not my will, but yours, but no, not my will, but yours. So that's the purpose of my life. And then he didn't say, oh, Lord, you just need to follow the nice little stereotype of how Christians live and they get married. So doopity doo. No, he said this, Lori, the mode I want you, not everyone listening. He said it to me. The mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples is as a married woman, marriage and singleness are equally valuable modalities to advance the kingdom of God. The purpose of our life is not to get married. The purpose of our life is to glorify God and make disciples be one with him, be one with the church, and invite others into this oneness so that we can bear much fruit. Mm. Marriage doesn't have to be a part of that, but it can be if he calls you to it. Preach, girl. We need... We need to see singleness as equally valuable. Otherwise, you're going to start duct taping my story to every single same-sex attracted person's story, and mm. that is sinful. Yes. Read 1 Corinthians 7. I'm like, Paul, like, I mean, I think singleness maybe is better. But God said, Lori, the mode I want you to do the mission is as a married woman, and he did not have me connect my heart to men. That's called polyamory. And God is not a fan of that in my opinion also shoot I just opened up a whole nother bucket of worms he didn't call me to marry all of manhood (laughs) he called me to connect my heart to one man Matt and it started out as this friendship and it grew and it grew and it, it was like we were both running toward Jesus and God said this is the covenant this is how I want you both to die to self and be one together and it wasn't like I was like I had a noose and okay, fine, God, I'll obey you. It's a crazy thing when you're in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is his wants become your wants? It's bananas. Mm-hmm. I didn't just want, and I didn't want to marry men. Ew. But my heart was drawn to Matt. And so we got married in 2009. Things almost fell like totally apart in about 2000. I don't know, 11, 12. That's our book. <laughs> <laughs> But I can tell you today, even in because of the marriage pain that we'd been through, I, even though my flesh opposes it, I am so, I love living this metaphor of marriage. Mm-hmm. Not because you guys can go, oh, Hallmark movie. Oh. But hope that in our marriage, but in every marriage, if God has called you to that, or singleness, we'll talk about that in a second, that people can see God's love for the church and how you mm. die to yourself every day and be one. Yeah. That's the purpose of marriage. Mm. Mm. Um, all right, well, the second question was, what's your favorite argument for God's design for marriage, even though your flesh opposes it? If you were going to give your favorite argument, 
what yeah. would it be? So People to be Loved, read it. It's a really great book. I really mean it. Or if you're like, can I have the Cliff's Notes version? Sure. Uh, go to centerforfaith.com. There's some really great resources there. Okay, but this is my favorite one. And this I actually got. It's not actually in People to be Loved, I don't think. But this is my favorite argument for God's design for marriage, even though my flesh opposes it. This is Matthew 19. So people were asking Jesus about uh, divorce. And they're like, hey, can we, the Pharisees are like, can we like, I don't know, it's like Moses allowed divorce, how about you? And Jesus says way too much. Also, he uses the wrong word when he talks about divorce. But he says way too much in response. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning. God made them male and female. And in, when he says male and female, he doesn't just say, oh, yeah, no, 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 you guys can't get divorced. He like, he's going OG. All he's going back. to Genesis 2 there. He said, this makes it means uh, God made a male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And the two are united into one. There's not like a, and then they got married in the Bible or like a word for like straight up. It's, it's the two, the one flesh union is what we call marriage. Yeah. But here's the part I want to highlight. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined his wife. And the two are united into one. So he said, male and female united uh, to join to his wife in the two, the two. Is it two people who love each other? The two, the only two that is the one flesh union that we call marriage, the two is male and female. So the only two, which is what we call marriage, that Jesus refers to as marriage, biblically speaking, is only male and female. So you can definitely get married, like legally in the United States, but the best, it's just the two shall become one flesh. The only one flesh union that Jesus calls marriage is male and female. And so... And, and what's interesting there too, um, in that scenario, when Jesus gets asked that question... What Jesus quotes is not actually one particular quotation. It's actually two different sections in Genesis. Yep. He purposefully takes male and female from one section and then pairs it with the one flesh union, which I think is Genesis, end of Genesis 2, right? Genesis, so it's Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. Yeah, so Jesus doesn't do that accidentally. Mm -hmm. He very specifically uses male and female as mm -hmm. part of his answer on one flesh. And uh, that, that's, that's a great thank you for, yeah. for talking about that. Because I, we talk about marriage all the time. Mm. I don't think that a lot of people really understand, even Christians that grew up in the church, how marriage is God's idea. Like I think a lot of times we think, well, it's this legal thing and cultures and civilizations have been doing it for a long time. And, you know, we just kind of happened into it. But as Christians, we actually believe God created and designed marriage. The problem is, is we don't see the word marriage in Genesis. We see the word one flesh. God brings them together. Can I say my second favorite one? Yeah, this is please. actually probably my most, most favorite one. So uh, I almost left Matt at one point. Again, that's in our book. And I knew all the arguments against same-sex marriage. They didn't keep me in my marriage. One of the things, the most important one that kept me was actually Ephesians 5. Don't roll your eyes yet. Hang on. We've heard this a lot, right? As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two, there's the one flesh union, are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ 
and the church are one. Did any of you guys grow up with this sense like, oh yeah, Christ and the church and blah, bored. But it's really about like male, female, and like Christ and the church, like kind of image this male, female relationship. No, the mystery is not that men and women fall in love. The mystery is that God wants to and will marry us. I've heard so many marriage conferences start with a gigantic eye roll toward the opposite sex. So many podcasts start that way with like, <laughs> aren't men like so dumb? <laughs> aren't women so controlling? Oh my gosh. Man cave, she shed, blah, blah, blah. We got to stop the eye rolls because it was super painful to overhear in my marriage when I was like, yeah, why are you married? You guys super hate each other. God did not design men and women differently as a cosmic joke. He did it on purpose to mirror how different is God from humanity. Mm. Ephesians 1 says he's far above every power and ruler and authority. He's ontologically different. He's Elohim. He's creator God and we're dusty us. Mm. And yet he's going to marry us. Male and female difference is not a cosmic joke or cosmic punishment. When we die to ourselves and be one with the other, we're showing the world a gospel picture in the grocery store, in our neighborhoods, and mm. in our homes, how much God loves us. Mm. Please stop rolling your eyes at each other. This is a beautiful picture of God's love. Okay. All right. Woo! Come on now. So uh, let me ask a question that kind of came in. Um, is this sin worse than other sins? Uh, because if it's not, why are we talking about it? Because the fact that we would spend a whole week on it seems to indicate that this might be way worse than other things. How would you respond to that? Is it way worse? I think it is not way worse. I think that if we read 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Corinthians, we hear how sexual sin does affect us more than others because it the Holy Spirit lives within our bodies. I hope that you're hearing at least a fraction that this there's special utensils God uses for special conversations. Mm. And so the reason that we're taking this one and taking a week on it is our world is, I'm gonna say this tenderly, deceived. Mm. and I'm never going to scream that, mm. and I hope you're not screaming it, mm -hmm. but we need to talk about this with tenderness and love, so I hope you're not walking away like, oh, wow, we spent a whole week on that. That must be the worst thing. I hope you're hearing, this is a conversation that requires nuance and yeah. tenderness, and wait a second, teenagers are killing themselves how much percent? Wait, because of what? And yet we're just, we're not, we're just going to not talk about it. We're just going to steamroll through it. Like, I hope you're hearing, let's take a tender week into, yes, this is truth. But here is how we can step into love. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's so good. So talk, talk about love is love. I mean, we're talking about love. We think that this is actually one of the reasons we need to have this conversation, but that's actually one of the biggest hashtags, right? Love is love. So therefore, why are you going to judge me? Why are you going to think, you know, like it's my love is no different than, than your love or whatever. So 
Love, what, what is love? That's a good question, which um, I would encourage you, if you really wanna dive into that question regarding this conversation, my friend David Bennett wrote a really dope book. It's called A War of Loves. Uh, he's getting his PhD at Oxford right now. He was like the leading affirming um, uh, person for same-sex marriage and then God just radically got gripped his heart. It is very not shamey. It is very not language of 1990s. Not that everything was terrible in the 1990s. I'm just saying it's a very tender book, A War of Loves, David Bennett. Mm. We seem to think that love is letting people do what they want or feels natural to them. And I've got three kids. And if my daughter, Juju, who you prayed for, she'll tell me <laughs> I when I give her cotton candy or let her do what she wants, I love you, mommy. You're the best mommy. And then I lay down the law. You're the worst mommy. I hate you. But if I let my kids and I... I let them eat cotton candy all day and watch screens all day and never go to school, and I let them do that for the next 20 years, they'll come back to me in 20 years and say, you didn't love me. Mm. Why didn't you tell me the best way that I could be a grown-up adult? Now, I am a dusty daughter of Eve and Adam human, mm. and I have this instinct to try and guide my kids toward the best pathway for their life, but I'm also a child, not just of Randy and Marsha Heckman, but of God. And is it possible that there is someone who is all loving, all powerful, unbiased yet equally biased toward all of us equally, both your enemies and your friends, who didn't just drop kick a book from the sky and say, live this way, but he came down to That's earth right. and showed, made the way for us to flourish. Is it possible there's someone smarter than us who wrote and lived out the path of flourishing? Is it possible? And I think that's how we need to see this conversation is it's not a bunch of rules to follow. It's, dear one, here's the best way to flourish. I made you follow this path. And it's not automatically marriage. <laughs> Singleness is such a beautiful picture of how we're all going to be in heaven. <laughs> and then last part on love. What is love? It's patient, kind, it's not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, keeps no record when it's wronged. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Just if we want to look even biblically, not only is it love to point people on a path of flourishing, it's within the text that there is truth within love. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, I so wanted to get to a couple of these questions, but we're not going to have time for it. Um, I think that the conversation about uh, the LGBTQ plus movement as well as uh, racial equity movement, uh, where those things intersect and where they shouldn't intersect would be a great one. Not going to get to it. Um, the cost of speaking up about this conversation, what it's actually cost you, which I know is a lot, uh, can't get to it. I want to kind of finish with the last question. How can we love you or any other same-sex attracted or gay person well in this church? What is it? And, and I think let's try to pull seven in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how can we speak truth and love? Like when and how? Mm -hmm. But man, how do we? I mean, like as a church, like we can't mess this up, Lori. Yeah. 
and we do. Like just sometimes in our naivete, right? In our ignorance. Like I, I maybe said some things, if, if, you're, if you identify as LGBTQ, that maybe were like, ooh, that kind of hurt me today. And, I, and I, I'm trying to be like as sensitive as I know how to, but even I'm screwing it up sometimes. So Lori, help us. What does that look like? How do we do it? Because we really genuinely, we don't, I don't just say we want to, we have to church. We have to do this well. Yeah, and I, I can screw it up, and I know I have, and so I, I can't speak for all LGBT people, um, but I'm going, I go to this church. <laughs> we go to this church, um, but if I would say one thing to pull in both seven and eight, study, study, please understand that this, you know, you said it's pretty clear, it's you guys might be like, oh, I mean, Romans 1, uh, isn't there something Leviticus, an abomination? I'm good. Mm-mm. I'm telling you, you need to understand, and the best resource out there is people to be loved, to be honest with you, because it's going to give you the humanization, which is critical, and it's sad that I even need to say that, but it is true. Uh, and then also centerforfaith.com if you want the Cliff's Notes version. There's even small groups, uh, Grace, Truth 1.0 and 2.0. And Preston gets into some of the gender piece, which we didn't touch on there. Why am I saying to study this? It's not so that you can have grenades to lob at people. Mm-mm. When you know and you're confident in the boundaries, you can just love people like crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because you're not threatened. Oh my gosh, are they going to actually like say something and I'm going to like totally change my mind? Some of the most adamant against same-sex marriage and blah would, are the people who haven't studied anything because they're actually anxious. Underneath their, their anger is this like anxiety, like am I going to get it wrong? Or they're actually grieving. I'm so sad about this. Get confident in this conversation, also in your own identity. That even if you can't change X, Y, Z person in your head, I'm not saying make them straight. I'm saying follow Jesus. That's right. Your identity is okay. Mm. Are you solid that even if they yell at you, even if they don't follow Jesus, are you okay? Or is your identity wrapped up in how they respond to you? Even if they reject. Even if they reject you, it's are you solid in who you are? So I think that's a huge one. I also would advise don't fight on not critical things. Don't fight about language pieces like that. Oh, I'm not going to call you that. Oh, you're not this. We can talk about that another day. Uh, The last thing, this is just a personal one because we go here. I'm happy to answer and think like questions and stuff like that. But we go to this church. And if every time we come here, we're going to get like drowned uh, by specific questions on LGBT. I'm a little nervous about that. I'm not going to lie. But uh, if you have questions, feel free to email me or follow up. I'll set up a time. But when this is is just a personal little thing for Lori and Matt is it's nice to come here. I'm happy to ask questions today. Um, And if you have one to email us another time, but just. We go here, too. (laughs) And so just be our friends, and we can talk about other things, too. You're not just the gay expert? No. No, there's more to Lori. The gexpert. Yes, the gexpert. (laughs) Don't tweet that. Thank you. Uh, We're we're live streaming, so, Lori, I don't know what to tell you about being the gexpert. No, I... um, Lori and I actually had some conversations uh, even before she agreed to come and talk about this because this, this is she and Matt's church. And uh, they're just like 
uh, Brenda and I. Um, they carry with them into their relationship uh, all kinds of brokenness. Some of it's sexual. Uh, most of it's uh, brokenness of other sorts. Um, and I do too. And so do you. And we want to be a place that we love each other for who we are, all of who we are, not just the little pieces that uh, seem to jump to the front of our minds. And uh, we want to care for each other, even when it's hard. Um, this is what it means to be family. Uh, I don't stop loving my brothers and sisters uh, simply because they do things that I don't like or that hurt me or um, I d disagree with. Uh, and if you knew my family, you would know that there's uh, lots and lots of things that uh, would allow for that. Church is supposed to be family, like real legit. In fact, Jesus actually says that this local church, okay, when you belong to it, when it is family for you, that it's actually uh, church, you know, they say the whole blood is thicker than water. Uh, church is thicker than blood. That's actually what Jesus says. And so we need to care for one another. Um, in spite of sometimes our differences and certainly in spite of our brokenness. And that's what we want to do. And uh, Lori, thank you for your vulnerability today. Matt, thank you for sharing Lori with us today. Uh, and I'm so grateful that you guys are a part of our church. Um, friends, uh, I want to pray to, to, to let us go. But um, I hope that you hear what Lori said too at the very end there. Uh, I think that what the text says is clear, but the only reason I think that is because I spent lots and lots of time studying it. I hope that you will take the challenge that Lori has laid down to say, hey, I'm not just going to be okay because my church talked about it for 30 minutes one week, but you're going to dive in as well. And then when you are confident in who you are in Christ and what Jesus actually believes is best for all of us, then we can love like crazy, right? That's what we want to do. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together. Spirit, your presence, I believe, was so real and potent, thick today. And God, that's what we want. We want to experience your power and your presence. And God, I pray that every single person in this room felt not just your presence, but your loving presence, because that is who you are. Your love does not negate your holiness, though. And so, God, we will do our very best to understand you as you are. Trust that you are good and for us. And obey what you say, believing that that is actually where love is found. Father God, let us be people who have experienced your grace in our lives so that we can then be people who gladly, lavishly pass that love and grace along to others. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, satisfying the wrath that I deserved, and for your resurrection, leading each of us that believe in you into the resurrection of life that we all that believe get to experience. It's in your beautiful and powerful name we pray. Amen.